Well, good evening. Take two. Good evening. Much better. We'll work on it. This evening we are in Second Peter and in chapter 1, where we left off last week. We just started this new series of studies last week. And Second Peter, chapter 1, we are in uh, verse 12. And I shared with you last week the introduction... And as we understand this book, it is very much about uh, a number of different truths that Peter wants us to understand and wants us to uh, apply. And then the theme of the book is living in the knowledge of the truth. And so the first thing we looked at after our introduction last week was the truth about Christian growth. How do we grow in the character that God is looking to build in and through our lives as Christians? Now we get into the truth about God's Word, and that's another of the very important truths, and this is one of four that Peter deals with in this wonderful epistle. So the truth about God's Word, we are going to talk about a number of things, and actually uh, three specifically, that Peter deals with in this section in the remainder of chapter 1, dealing with the truth about God's Word. Let's Open in a word of prayer, as we always do. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we now ask in the power of Jesus' name, we certainly ask that you would be gracious and wonderful, as you always are, in opening your word to us and helping us to understand it in a powerful and wonderful way. We ask that you'd be glorified in and through our lives as we apply your word, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody out there, you awake? Good. So, the truth about God's Word. Let's read just verses 12 through 15, and then we'll go back over it. Peter writes here, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Now, he said these things a couple of times. What are these things? Well, remember, we just finished the section dealing with the truth about Christian growth. The character of a Christian, the things that we read about last week, dealing with all of these things that we should add to our faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, all of these things that we know God definitely wants to build in our lives, all of these things we understand, we know that God wants to do a work, but we have to co-labor, we have to be able to see what God is doing and desiring to do in our lives and come alongside and be willing to surrender to God's work in and through our hearts. Now, in doing that, Peter wants to remind them of the truth of God's word, telling them this, that God's word must be frequently remembered. God's word must be remembered. Now, in order, of course, to be remembered... You have to have, first of all, heard it, studied it, read it. You can't remember something that didn't happen, right? 
So remembering God's Word, that's what we're talking about, the truth about God's Word. God's Word must be frequently remembered. And the first thing he says in verse 12 is this, So I will always remind you of these things, that is the truth about Christian growth, the truth about Christian character, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Peter was committed to reminding his fellow Christians of the truths of the gospel from God's word. He was committed to doing this, reminding people of the truth. I think one of the things that you have to recognize is hearing it once is not enough. Studying it, reading it once is clearly not enough. If it were enough, we would read, do not sin, and we would never sin again. We, we would read scriptures that talk about surrendering our lives to God and to his will, and we just would do that, but we need to hear it over and over again. Repetition, iteration, is a wonderful form of learning or teaching because what it does is it helps us to hear what we already know over and over again. Now, that may sound redundant. It may sound repetitive. It may sound boring, but let me tell you something. When the day comes that you actually obey God's word in a particular area— Hearing it again will only affirm God's growth in and through your life. It's only going to encourage you. You'll be like, yes, that's right, I've been doing that. Uh, Anthony, during worship, was talking about having patience. And boy, I was was driving on 287 today. I was on 46. I was on uh, 20. Uh, Everywhere I went, there was traffic and construction. And it seemed like I crawled everywhere today. And patience was just needed And at times it fails because it's really difficult to be patient sometimes. Well, working that character in our lives, once we learn that love is patient, once we learn that patience is a virtue, once we understand those things and we apply that to our hearts and we begin to obey God, the next time we hear a message about patience, guess what we do? We're encouraged because, hey, I've been more patient. So that's not a bad thing, not at all. But he would never stop teaching them these truths, even though they knew them well. He would constantly remind them, though they were faithfully living these truths every day. And just because I may share something with you that you applied to your life five to ten years ago, it doesn't mean I shouldn't keep saying it. We need to hear it again and again. Now, Peter was committed to reminding his fellow Christians of the truths of the gospel from God's word, but he was also committed to teach God's word to God's people until he left this earth. Until he was martyred for his faith, he was going to teach God's word until he breathed his last breath. In verses 13 and 14, as we continue back over what we read, I think, Peter says, it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And we read this and recognize that Peter understood his fate. Why? How? Well, first of all, he was willing to live his life with this express purpose until he departed. By the way, in this context, in this section, verses uh, 13 through 15, where you see the word departed, it means, it's a word that in Greek means exodus. Like when the children of Israel left Egypt, it was a good departing. We sometimes say the souls of the dearly departed, right? We say that sometimes, rest in peace. Departed in this life as a Christian is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's like an exodus. We're leaving the land or the world of bondage and entering into God's glory. And so I find it interesting that he uses a word that can be interpreted or is translated as exodus. 
he would willingly live his life with this express purpose until he departed. He compared his earthly life to living in a tent or a temporary dwelling. Now, I don't know how many of you camp or have camped. Uh, You will know that you can live in a tent for a couple of days, maybe a little while, but it's very much a temporary dwelling. It is not a comfortable home. In fact, we were just visiting my aunt and uncle yesterday, and uh, they just bought a new motor home, and uh, they're retired, and it's really very nice. And as nice as it is, it, it's not a permanent home. It's a, it's a sort of a vacation home on wheels. It's not a tent either by any stretch, but it is definitely not a home. And I think when you recognize living in a tent has its place, has its time, but a permanent dwelling is something we look forward to. Well, that's how Peter looked at his life. His life in the body was like that of living in a tent, a tent, a temporary dwelling, knowing that this is not his final destination. And living in a tent, as we say here, he understood that he saw his death not only as an exodus, but going into the promised land of God. The place that God had promised for him. In fact, uh, if you back up and look at just the verses we ended with last week, he says in uh, the latter part of verse 10, For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So in writing here, he has in mind this idea that I'm in a temporary place looking forward to my permanent home in heaven, in the glory of God. And that's what he's talking about here. That's how he's addressing these subjects. He viewed eternal life as the promise of living in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's how we should look at life. That's how Peter did. He would willingly give his life for Jesus Christ and called him to a martyr's death. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but he was keenly aware that he would soon give his life for the cause of Christ. Not everyone knows this until it happens. Peter knew it, Because if you go back, and I'll just read it for you, in, for example, in in John's Gospel in chapter 13, verse 36, which we studied some time ago on Sunday mornings, uh, it, it says there that Simon Peter asked Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Referring to his death and resurrection. And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And of course, he's referring to his death. And Peter, of course, of course, thought, well, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But of course, we know when push came to shove, he denied the Lord three times. Then we look at John's gospel and in chapter 21 and in verses 18 through 19, a conversation that Jesus has with uh, Peter after the resurrection. He says, I tell you the truth, speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, John is writing this retrospectively. He's writing his gospel, remembering what Jesus had said to Peter and interpreting that Jesus had told him in advance how he would die. And so when Peter writes here back in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, when he writes that he knew, and as he says here, 
because I know that, that I will soon put this tent aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He's essentially saying, hey, listen, I know, I know that the Lord has called me to give my life for him. To give my life for him. And so, as we look at this, we see Jesus informed him in advance of the method of execution years earlier he would be crucified. In fact, tradition teaches us that he was crucified by Nero when he was around 75 years old. But he requested to be hung upside down so that he wouldn't be confused with Jesus. Now that's what tradition teaches us. That's not biblical, but that's what we believe happened with Peter. And it makes sense because Jesus did say in advance that that's what would happen. Now, Peter was committed. He was committed to making God's word available. Committed to making God's word available to God's people even after he died. Think about that for a minute. Committed to making God's word available to God's people even after he died. He says in verse 15, And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, my exodus, you will always be able to remember these things. And of course, here we are this evening, remembering these things. Remembering these things. That was what he was committed to. He would make every effort to preserve his teaching, of course, in in written form. This confirms his purpose in writing his first and second epistles. That's why we have these books of the Bible. But there's something else you may or may not know, and that is that the Gospel of Mark was written by Peter's close attendant and interpreter. Peter talked about him as his son, Mark, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. Tradition teaches that the Gospel of Mark is actually the preaching material, the sermons of Simon Peter. That what Mark recorded in his Gospel in those 16 chapters is actually Peter's life's work, and ministry. And he put it to paper to record what Peter would share and the, and the history and the gospel that Peter shared when he traveled through the known world preaching the gospel. So I would say it's fair to say that if that's true, and I believe it is, that Peter certainly did fulfill that promise to make every effort to see that after his departure, we would be able to, those that follow in Christ's footsteps, would be able to Excuse me, remember these things. And indeed, if you were to read the Gospel of Mark and study the Gospel of Mark and also study First and Second Peter, there's very little that would be lacking. Very, very little, if anything, would be lacking from your understanding of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all there. Now, interesting that he made this commitment to do that, and he fulfilled that commitment. He would also make every effort not only to preserve his teachings in written form, but he would make every effort to raise up leaders to carry on the ministry in his stead. And that's a very important thing. And as we get older, I'm including myself in that, one of the things that's vitally important for me as a pastor, as a minister, as someone with over 30 years experience in ministry, is to pass on not only the teachings of the gospel and the teachings of God's word, but the lessons and the experience that I've gained as I follow the Lord, the mistakes I've made, the things I've gotten right, the things I've gotten wrong, and passing that on to the next generation. Because 
what value they've been to me needs to be passed on to those who will carry the ministry into the future beyond my life, should the Lord tarry. So Peter understood this. He made every effort to raise up leaders. Peter had invested his life in the lives of others, like John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and Silas, who helped him write 1 Peter. This was Peter's life's work. Peter administered to many individuals within the early church throughout his public ministry. And so that begs the question to each of us, how many people are we reaching? Are we spending our life sharing that message, passing on the lessons, the things that we've learned, the things we've understood from God's Word, the lessons He's taught us? Because ultimately, that is why we're here and not in the presence of God, so that God can do His work in and through our lives even after we're gone. You know, it's funny. I remember when I first became a Christian, I used to listen to uh, Christian radio a lot. I was in the car a lot. And, you know, this was before CDs. I had a cassette player in my car. And, um, I mean, CDs existed. I just didn't have a CD player in my car. But uh, this was before they were really all that popular. And I do remember uh, listening to Christian radio. And there was a preacher, J. Vernon McGee. Maybe you've heard of him. And he had a kind of funny voice, and he would go through the Bible, and uh, he was an influence on Chuck Smith. What I didn't know, what I did know, and Chuck Smith is the founder of Calvary Chapel, but uh, what I didn't know is that he had long since passed. So I was listening to tapes that were recorded years earlier when J. Vernon McGee was alive. But I thought he was alive. I didn't know he was dead. And I thought about that as I was looking over my notes. J. Vernon McGee was doing exactly what Peter is encouraging us to do and did himself. So we know that God's word must be frequently remembered. In order for it to be remembered, there are things we need to do and invest in the lives of others so that it can be. Peter had done that. But the second thing we're going to look at is that God's word must not only be frequently remembered, but firmly believed. See, remembering God's word, knowing God's word, quoting chapter and verse only gets you just so far. You actually have to believe it. You have to receive it. You have to believe it. You have to trust in it. You have to live according to it. Remember, living in the knowledge of the truth. We're talking about taking those things we claim to believe and actually living in those truths. So now he goes on to say this in verses 16 through 18. Speaking of his faith, he says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. This is clearly Peter writing, and he's writing about things he saw as an eyewitness. He's writing about experiences that he had had. He was absolutely sure of the truth of the gospel message. There there was no doubt in his mind the gospel was true. The gospel was God's truth, is God's truth. He and the other disciples had had not chosen to follow some myth, some story. He had chosen to follow the truth. The truth. 
And because of what others were saying about it not being the truth, Peter felt it important to say we didn't follow cleverly invented stories. What we're saying is the truth. And we've made our lives following it. They had actually seen, the apostles had actually seen, tangible evidence of Jesus' power in action with their own eyes. Now, some of you, I'm sure, have as well, but not to this degree. We weren't given the privilege to walk with Jesus for three and a half years and watch him heal every person that was sick, cast out every demon he ever encountered. We, we, didn't, we didn't ever see that, but God's work was great and mighty at that time through Jesus. They had seen Jesus perform miraculous healings, works of great power. They had witnessed Jesus' resurrection from the dead after three days and three nights. They had performed miraculous healings and works of power themselves in Jesus' name. So when Peter says, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty, that is the truth. They saw stuff. They saw. They watched. They witnessed as God worked. They had witnessed Jesus coming in the past, and they also believed in his imminent return. They had witnessed his visible splendor and majesty as God during the transfiguration on the mountain. When he was transfigured before them and his glory as the Son of God was revealed to Peter, James, and John. They looked forward to his visible splendor and majesty as God when he would return. And we look forward to that as well. Peter was absolutely sure of the truth of Jesus' identity as well. He knew who Jesus was. He knew who Jesus is. Back to verses 17 through 18. He says, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He's referring to that moment and it recorded in the Gospels of the Mount of Transfiguration. An incredible moment where the Lord revealed to his three disciples, closest disciples you might say, Peter, James, and John, who he really is and the glory that really surrounded him that was not visible to the naked eye while he walked the earth. They had witnessed that. They had seen that. He and the other disciples also had heard the Father testify to the truth about God the Son. Remember, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father as God the Son. That was the testimony of the Father. In fact, Jesus was acknowledged by God the Father as God the Son. There was no doubt about that. As the Son of God. He was identified by God the Father as his beloved Son that pleased him. The Father said this on a number of occasions. He and the other disciples, that is, Peter and the other disciples, were physically present when the Father spoke from heaven. You'll remember that Peter and a number of others were present at Jesus' baptism when God the Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We're told in John's Gospel in chapter 12 that Peter and others were present when Jesus was glorified by God. 
said, I, I, Father, I glorify you. And, and, and the father responded by saying, and, you're, and I glorify you. And basically, that was another moment where God the Father testified from heaven to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. And of course, we've already talked about Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. When God said, again, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Peter is in a position to be able to testify to the truth because, why? Because he'd seen the truth with his own eyes. So he becomes a witness to the truth. So is it important that God's word be frequently remembered? Yes, but it's even more important that God's word must be firmly believed. And Peter believed the word of God, and he's telling them, you can believe it, it is true. Now, the fact that God's word is true, that's part of it. That's part of it. The fact that God's word is true is only going to get you so far. You have to be able to understand God's word. And we know from the scripture that God's word is spiritually understood. That is, you need God the Holy Spirit to understand God's word. So you can get a degree in Bible study and read and memorize the entire Bible, but if you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, you're not really going to understand God's word. That's an important distinction because there are many men and women today who know God's word better than all of us put together, but they don't know God. It's not an encyclopedia. It's not a textbook. It's the living word of God. And knowing God by the power of the Holy Spirit allows you to truly understand God's word. And it's not about being smart and it's not about being educated. It's about being filled with God's spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. So here's what we read. And this may sound a little cryptic, but we'll go over it. Verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting word in Greek, carried along. We'll talk about that in a minute. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So men did the writing, men did the speaking, but God actually did the work in and through their lives as they were carried along by the Spirit. God's word must be spiritually understood, and Peter taught them to do something in order for that to happen. He taught them to study the scriptures until, until when? Until they understood them completely. Until they understood them completely. Now, again, I just want to pause for a minute. If you're uncomfortable, at this point, we tried to get the air conditioning working properly. I don't know why. If you want to open up the windows, go ahead, because it's not working as well as it should. I'm sorry. I don't know what the problem is. We tried. At this point, it's going to be more comfortable if you open up the windows. We'll deal with it later. I don't know what the problem is. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Sorry about that interruption, but I want you to be comfortable. So, Peter. Peter taught them to study the Scripture. Are you studying the Scriptures? Oh, we are tonight, aren't we? Amen? 
in God's Word. That's what we need to do, to study them, to understand them. Now, it's going to take time. You're not going to understand everything tomorrow. But as you dedicate your life to not only remembering God's Word, not only believing it, but then, and by the way, it has to go in that way. You have to, you have to remember. You have to get it into your mind. Okay, that was the first thing Peter mentioned. Uh, then what do you have to do? Well, then you have to actually believe it, put your faith in it. And as you do that, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you begin to understand it. And that's where Peter is going now. I mean, he's, he's encouraging them to spend time studying the Scriptures. I want to remind you that at this point, there was really no New Testament. Some of the letters had been written. Some of the books we have were being distributed. But when they said the Scriptures at this point, it was the Old Testament. It was the Old Testament. Those 39 books of the Old Testament. That's what we're talking about here, the Jewish Scriptures. And he encourages them to spend time studying them while the New Testament was being written because the word of the prophets is made more certain. Why? How is it made more certain? In that it accurately predicted Christ. It's made more certain in that you can look back now at the Old Testament scriptures and read about the prophecies and say, well, that happened. Christ came. He died as predicted by the scriptures. He was born as predicted by the scriptures. He was born in the very village that the scriptures told us in the, in the book of Micah, told us his birth, birthplace. And guess what? He was born there. Daniel told us pretty much exactly when he would enter Jerusalem to the day, and he did. Uh, David wrote in the Psalms describing his execution, his crucifixion, uh, as not only the psalmist, but Isaiah in chapter 53 did as well. So when you read the scriptures, you very quickly come to an understanding. Well, they said this would happen, and it happened. So Peter can say, we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Now, they were certain it was the truth, but now they know it's the truth. It's more certain, if there's such a thing as more certain, because it actually happened. So what Peter is saying is, you can trust the Word of God. Jesus' fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy is one of the great proofs that this is the Word of God. That's one of the things I love sharing with people. The prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled during the time of the New Testament and beyond, and it helps us to recognize how could a book be written that could predict the future unless someone outside of time communicated it. God himself who knows all things. And so that really does make it more certain. And the same Old Testament that predicted Jesus' first coming to the letter predicts his second coming. So we can trust that he's coming again. Amen? Amen. This truth makes the word of the prophets even surer than what Peter had just shared in the previous section. His testimony. Peter's testimony was certain. But the word of the prophets was more certain. Because what Peter was doing was reflecting back on what had actually happened, and he was testifying to what he saw and what he experienced. The prophets, on the other hand, inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaking as men inspired by God, predicted in advance what would happen so that when it actually did happen, there's no disputing that it's the Word of God. So when, if you want to weigh it, you know, Peter's testimony is up there, but the word of God is even more so. I can share my testimony. That, that doesn't mean anything if not connected to and testifying to the truth of God's word. So we put God's word above personal testimony. Even Peter does. 
puts the scriptures and God's word above his own personal testimony, though his own personal testimony was substantial. Just remember that, because there are some people that would say, well, I don't care what the word of God says. I know what God told me. Oh, 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 oh." Peter doesn't do that, and no one ever should. God's word is always true, and may every man be a liar. God's word is true. Amen? And if your testimony is in accordance with God's word, then I'll believe it, or I'll at least give it consideration. But if it violates scripture or it goes against God's truth revealed in his word, then I reject it. I reject it. So, what he's telling them here is that this can be trusted. This Bible that we're studying tonight, this word of God, New and Old Testaments, can be trusted. Because honestly, in the Old Testament, you had contained the New Testament. But in the New Testament, you had the Old Testament explained so the, in the old, the new contained, in the new, the old explained. So they're in accordance with the truth of God's word, and one testifies to the other, and the other to the other. So that's why we can look at the word of God and see that it's consistent and inspired by God himself, although spoken and written by men. And the scripture tells us that's true. See, it's not the dictated word of God, it's the inspired word of God. Men wrote, and Peter talks about it here, as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Peter's New Testament testimony only confirms the truth of God's word in the Old Testament. He encourages them to give their full attention to the word of God as a guiding light. As a guiding light. Now, you may not realize this, but when you're driving, signs, lights, directionals, information is, you're being bombarded with left turn only, red, yellow, green, right? These lights and these signals are guiding you. They're directing you. They're, they're, they're instructing you as you drive. Well, they didn't have traffic lights back then, but light can be a directing force. And what we're talking about here, what Peter's really describing when he says it this way, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what he's saying is you need to pay attention and look at the guiding light of God's word. What does that mean? Well, let me explain a little here. As he encourages them to look to God to enlighten them with the truth of his word, we remember Psalm 119. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It helps me to get to where God is calling me to go. Now, in ancient times, this is true today too, but especially in ancient times, when the sun rises, it dispels the darkness with the light of dawn. The sun comes up, the darkness is gone. So I want you to think it's a metaphor. When you think about it this way, when the sun rises, the darkness flees. The darkness goes away. We might describe that as being enlightened. And he's saying, study the scriptures until the sun rises in your hearts and the darkness is dispelled. That is, until you understand what it is you're reading. He's poetically stating, keep at it, keep studying God's word, until you understand what it means. And the morning star, when the morning star rises, it guides us through the darkness. Now, some of you may or may not know this, the morning star is the planet Venus, actually. Uh, That's typically the brightest, actually the third, it's the brightest if you will, star. It's a wandering star, or the, or the planets, what the word means. Uh, it's actually not a star. We know that now. But 
the bright morning star was the third brightest object in the night sky. Okay, okay, we can talk about it later. <laughs> so we, we, have, we have Venus, you know, Jupiter is pretty bright as well. But, you know, you have, you have the, the, the moon, you have the sun, it's a, the third brightest in the sky. So you have the sun, the moon, and then, of course, you have the planet Venus. So it's called the bright morning star. And it oftentimes is visible in the morning, but it also is visible at night different times of the year, more or less, depending on the rotation of the Earth and the orbital mechanics that we're not going to get into this evening. And if you have any questions about that, uh, Julio will be glad to go over with you after the service. Right, Julio? (laughs) So what we're talking about here, though, it's again a metaphor. When the sun rises, it dispels the darkness with the light of dawn. When the morning star rises, it guides us through the darkness. So this is all about darkness being a metaphor for uh, not understanding, a lack of understanding. Not ignorance, just a, an inability to understand. And light as being enlightened as to the true understanding of God's word. So you've got to keep at it, and we'll read it again. It says here, pay attention to it, that is study it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You're looking to a signal when you drive. You're looking to the sky to find light when it's dark. That's the idea. You're looking to God's word to guide you through the darkness of this world. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. You understand? It's a little poetic, but it makes sense. Jesus is the bright morning star that fills our hearts with understanding. In fact, in Revelation 22 verse 16, he's called the bright morning star using that same metaphor or analogy. And when he returns, we will have a complete understanding of God's word. Amen? For now we know in part, but then we shall know fully, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're looking for, we see through a glass darkly, but the day is coming when we will be fully known, when we'll understand completely. That's the idea. Okay, finally, last part we want to go over now. In these last two verses, Peter not only taught them to study the scriptures until they understood them completely, that is, keep at it until it makes sense, he also taught them to study the scriptures as the inspired word of God, not as just some interesting thing to read. See, the problem is people will say, I love to read the Bible, but they don't believe it. Okay? They don't really believe it. They don't really understand it. And they, they don't understand it because they don't look at it as more than just the words of men. And that's why they'll say, well, the word of God doesn't make any sense. Well, because they don't have the spirit and the things of God are spiritually discerned. The carnal man cannot know them, Paul tells us. The fleshly man cannot understand them. It, they're only spiritually discerned. So not having the Holy Spirit, not really putting your faith in it, and not understanding that it is the Word of God will prevent you from understanding the Word of God. But remember, Peter wants us to know you need to understand God's Word. That's why we're here tonight. So he taught them to study the Scriptures, but to study them not just as words in a book, but as the inspired Word of God. Because, of course, we remember Paul wrote, and I'll read it for you, wonderful verse, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. He said, all scripture is God-breathed. Some translations say inspired by God. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, that is how we grow. Remember we talked about the truth of Christian growth last week? Well, this is the truth about God's word. 
Put the two together. The truth about God's word will enable you to grow as a Christian. So the truth about Christian growth is that God's word is true and you need to study it. You can see how it's all connected. So he teaches them that the prophecy of Scripture is the word of God, not the word of man. Going back to our text, above all, he says in verse 20, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. It's not of private interpretation. The word of God is the word of God. Men wrote as they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, we'll see. But the important thing to remember, he's teaching them, Peter's teaching them that the prophecy of Scripture is the word of God. It's not the word of man. It was written by men, it's inspired by God, but it is the word of God. This is an essential truth that must be understood by those that study God's word. The prophets were called to speak God's word. And they did so without any personal interpretation. Many times they didn't even really fully understand what they were preaching. And we are called to study God's word without our own personal interpretation. When I first became a Christian... It was very tempting at times to read portions of Scripture through the lens of what I wanted them to say. And so many people do that, and one of the ways to do that is you just kind of poke through the Bible, like going through a supermarket, looking at shelves and aisles, until you find the can that you like. And you just kind of take it off the shelf, and you say, ooh, hot peppers, I like them. And you walk out of the store with just this one little thing you're looking for. That's not the way we study God's word. But when you do that, that'll be sort of a a private interpretation. Well, the Bible says, yeah, yeah, in one place, isolated, it can say pretty much whatever you want it to say. But that's not true. It's not of any personal interpretation or private interpretation. And we're called to study God's word without any personal interpretation. The prophets received God's word through the spirit. We must do likewise. If they wrote inspired by the Spirit of God, we must read and study inspired by the Spirit of God. If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not have Jesus in your heart. Because no one calls him Lord but by the Holy Spirit. So, you'll never understand God's Word. Oh, you might understand what it says. You might even kind of understand what it means. But it'll never make any impact or lasting change in your life because you will not be able to discern it without the Holy Spirit living in your heart by faith. So, he goes on in verse 21. He says, For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. And when he speaks of prophecy, he's talking about all of Old Testament Scripture, not just the prophets. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, understanding this verse will will help you to understand how it was possible for men to write the Word of God without them being the author of the Word of God. Because it's easy to get confused thinking, well, men wrote the Word of God. They must have, you know, made it up and God kind of just inspired them to write. No, no. They wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, these men were inspired by God to speak his Word, not their own Word. The prophets spoke out of obedience to God, by the will of God. God told them to speak, and many times those words were recorded, sometimes by others, but it was still the word of God. 
They received their prophecy through the power of the Holy Spirit. The word for carried along, it's actually one word, the word for carried along is the very same word used in verses 17 and 18. It's the word for came. So let's go back to 17 and 18 and say that it says here, for he received honor and glory. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him was carried along or brought to him, if you will, delivered to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came, that was carried along, that was brought to us from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So I want you to put it all together. Just like Jesus received the glory of God the Father, When those words from God the Father came to them, it's the very same way that men were carried along by the Holy Spirit when they wrote the Word of God. So there was no mistaking what God said when he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's no interpretation. You just simply communicate what God has communicated. It is that same type of communication that can be described as men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God revealed his will to them, and they recorded it. It is that simple. You need not think it's of any private interpretation, because it's not. It was written, going back to our scripture, as, notice it says in verse 21, prophecy didn't have his origin in the will of man. It wasn't what men wanted to write. But men spoke from God as they were carried along as the words came from God to them. Can I interpret it that way? As the words of God from God came to them. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word came to them in the same way that the voice came from heaven. So you can trust that this is the word of God. And in so doing, Peter is sort of indirectly claiming the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a true prophet By saying this, what he's saying is, what I'm writing to you, this is not for me either. This is also from God, the Word of God. And we'll see more of this as we go through our study. But for this evening, we recap by saying, this is the truth about God's Word. It brings about Christian growth, which we talked about last week. But the truth about God's Word is that it must be frequently remembered, it must be firmly believed, and it must be spiritually understood. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit that we might understand your word. Thank you for giving us an understanding of your word that allows us to preach your word, teach your word, apply your word, and live your word, and to live in the knowledge of the truth. Continue to give us confidence in your word, knowing that there are too many reasons why we can believe it is your word, and that we need not consider that it's anything less than the inspired word of God. That is the truth of your word. May that truth and your word change our hearts and change our lives as we give our lives to you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.